like a clown, no notes, all pages Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a Macy Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons Isn't amazing, Zacapella, Vericella Cause this shit is so contagious Mouse on the summaries, compiler, got the show While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro Keep the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad We get active, and haters like a cephalopod You don't like fish talk? Do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the tape Greatest five stars if you cherish your life Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouse, joined as always by the CB Cosmologist himself. The arbiter of trash or good. He decides. Bring me your case and I shall judge it. The four championship teams will go through one by one. The Cincinnati Bengals. Trash. Trash garbage. You're not even from a real place. Yeah. Cincinnati more like sense of baddie. It's not barely even a real animal. Uh, though I, I, I will say um their new away uniforms. Good. Fire. The the white Siberian tiger uniforms. Very cool. Yeah. It's one I of like the only that. implementations of like the color rush thing they started with Thursday night football. It's one of the only good ones I've ever seen. You need to embrace your animals more. Mm-hmm. I think this is something maybe add wings to the Ravens uniforms or talons of some sort. Uh <laughs> I totally agree. Unironically, completely agree. This is something I was thinking about watching some Titans games. The Titans oh, and yeah. Jets games also. The Titans and the Jets are both the like uh most wishy-washy um uncommitted to their theme yeah like you know tennessee titans like that's supposed to be like the athens of the south or something and they've got a whole uh reproduction of the pantheon i think um or some kind of big athenian monument in the city but then what is even the logo like there's swords sometimes it looks like a meteor like they should have giant creatures and they should have it's interesting to watch what they do with their mascot which is basically nothing versus what happens with the animators on monday night football who have too much of a budget and no direction and they're like let's give them Zack snyder 300 spartans themes or something yeah Um, and it's so interesting to watch an animator come with no preconceived notions about the team itself um yeah, like what even is this? The stars have something to do with Tennessee flag, but it looks like, like looks like um, who's the guy from Final Fantasy with a gun for a hand? Oh, Bar- Barrett. Yeah, it looks like Barrett's big finishing move. Yeah, it looks like a huge fireball. I I guess. Okay, so this is some kind of the T is some kind of weapon. And, oh, it, yeah, and they've got but it like looks more like an anchor. It does, or like a like a spike you'd use for golf. Um, yeah. So, and they're the epaulets on their uniforms have like sort of a sword design, and they're in their stadium. They've got like a big sword, but it should have some kind of like big creatures clash the titans. There's a lot of you know '80s kind of um, big bombastic mythological stuff you could do with it that would appeal to not just classics nerds, but like you know big kind of militaristic. Um, football fans so big missed opportunity with the titans yeah no no commitment to this to this 
gimmick. Oh, here's the swords. These yeah, are- there's a okay. sword there briefly. Um, but you be very- just garbage. Yeah, for a very brief <laughs> moment in the 60s, they had like a big jumbo jet as their logo. And invariably, anytime they're on Monday Night Football, you get a um, like a Top Gun theme for their animations. But they don't commit to it. And it's a real shame. So like you said, every team should be like, really committing the buffalo bills do a really good job despite the fact that they are bills isn't the thing right they've just but they are just buffalo, you know bison themed yeah they've got the big bison in their in their stadium they do when you see the jumbotron in their stadium they do like herds of bison rushing through the snow or whatever so that's a team that fully embraces it anyway Bengals. that game they beat up on the bills interesting to watch that game after having watched the ravens game because it really speaks to how good the Ravens defense actually is. We should have won that game and we could have beaten Buffalo. Yeah. We could have beaten Buffalo in those conditions. That that forever will be such a fucking missed opportunity. That Huntley fumble, Roman call, whoever you want to blame, that 98-yard swing was huge because we destroyed Joe Burrow. Like he was yeah. not fucking with our offense. And and so it's it's fascinating yeah. to watch that and be like, oh, the Bills defense ain't it anymore. Like they they were on a downswing towards the end of the season, and the Ravens gave gave the Bengals such a harder test. So I'm not convinced that the Bengals are all that. Now we would had we beat the Bengals, but I think we would have actually gone to Kansas City. And I don't know that we can beat Kansas oh. City because we can only generate like 14 points in a game if we're lucky. And so yeah, it, no, but we have a great secondary like that is such a and, and again you you gotta really you gotta look at the moves that organizations are making investing in your secondary is going to be the most important thing moving forward considering that like now trevor lawrence is fucking peyton manning too like all of these new up-and-coming quarterbacks if you can't protect against the pass you're going to get shredded in the nfl mm-hmm. and the nf and the ravens really heavily invested in their secondary they got some good guys on that fucking secondary and kyle hamilton is legit and you know first round pick no surprise there but you know sometimes they burn out we we do good at picking defensive players and we're gonna have to because god damn can they slice it up in the air it's really fucking crazy to watch and that Buffalo game showed two things. One, retroactively how good the Ravens defense is. And two, how fucking horrible Josh Allen is. Yeah. Josh Allen is, and this is not the comp you want, Brett Favre. Ooh. He's a fucking gunslinger. He can throw the shit out of the ball. He's much more athletic than Brett Favre. He's taller. He's bigger. But this guy is a fucking and and I say this with all love, a dumbass. Like you look at that guy and you're like, oh, he's stupid. He's like a dumb guy. That's why he's always dropping the ball. That's why he's fumbling it. That's why he's throwing turnovers. Like he doesn't have enough going up between the ears, enough going on between the ears to be an effective football quarterback. And like Brett Favre, I believe he'll probably win one Super Bowl. Um, it's just yeah, that feels right to me. You know, what year can he limit the amount of stupid turnovers he makes? And he was awful in that game. He scored 10 points against the Bengals, which 
good defense, not a great defense. They almost gave up 24 to the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Right. Who, as we established, don't have a quarterback. So anyway, so yeah, I, I just don't think the Bengals, yes, they're going back to the championship game for what a second year in a row. Yeah. But I don't think it's the same team as last year. And I'm not convinced that they're going to make it past the Chiefs. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy named Tom Schlereth whose nickname is Stink. I talked about him last week. He uh, consults with various NFL teams, including the Ravens and, and including a lot of NFL teams to talk about the offensive line. And to the point of like every team is now developing safeties uh, or are developing their secondary and they have to, that's like, that's going to be like a precondition for being successful in the NFL is to have a good secondary. Cause you're going to come up against guys uh, like all the way from Patrick Mahomes down to like Trevor Lawrence, who's like 15th best, but still can shred your goddamn secondary. And he was talking about complementarily, the offensive line has become so much more important in today's game because of guys like Tom Brady, offenses like the Chiefs, where when they're throwing 50, 60 times in a game, and the offensive line, which is the least athletic guys on the field, have to give three, four seconds worth of protection to a quarterback 60 times, they start going down. So you see that mm-hmm. with the Bengals. They were like, oh, we just got to fix the offensive line. Joe Burrow is going to have you know time to throw. And it's like, no, what, what happened was you fix the offensive line and three of them are injured because they have been trying to protect the quarterback 60 times a game for 17 weeks. And they are the least athletic guys on the field. It is a huge issue now where he's like, now you have to have depth in the offensive line. Like the backups have to be good. Otherwise, you know, quarterbacks are going to be in danger because that's what the game has evolved into. So on the defensive side, you need a good secondary. And on the offensive side, you need a fantastic O-line, which is the hardest thing to do. Yeah, and it's so interesting because you see then the Predators like Queen and Roquan Smith who right. can beat up on offensive line guys as they get tired and suddenly they just start spearing right through them. Yeah, which is the other point he made, which is like, well, you're not just fending off D tackles. You're also, when they send an all-out blitz, it's like, oh, now here's a cornerback who's rushing. Here's a fucking like, O-lineman. Like, like, or sorry, here's like uh, outside linebacker, middle linebacker inside linebacker, like they're all coming and these guys are way more athletic than we are. We're already on our back foot and we're just sitting here just like grabbing people. <laughs> right, and then you get all those holding calls. Yeah. Yeah. It It, it is. It is astounding too. Um, now there's going to have to be some kind of like O-line development where it was. And that's an old, an old adage in football, which is like, it's one in the front, like that battle determines the most games mm-hmm. and so it's going to be really interesting to see because while the chiefs defense is not great they do have in chris jones a top you know top three not top three but maybe top five uh pass rusher um who can really give uh an offensive lineman a lot of trouble yeah and a well, compliment to that then is you look at somebody like linderball you know, like, you know, the Ravens spent so much time, like, getting a guard as their first round or whatever. Linderbaum, it makes sense now. Like, why did they do that? Well, the offensive line is so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially for Lamar Jackson, who needs a lot of time to throw. Um, the Okay, so the Chiefs, trash are good. Good. Very good. 
but also don't sleep on Trevor Lords. Like that kid is going to be good. And this is his like first time in the playoffs. Can't overcame a huge deficit. You know, it gave Kansas City some problems. It was it was it was interesting to watch because also add add, add on to the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars are a bad team. <laughs> yeah, that's important to remember. Yeah, like they don't have all of the pieces out there yet. I don't know that Zay Jones is like that kind of wide out on another team. So I think Trevor Lawrence is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that regard too with his wideouts. Um, and Etienne is fantastic. So they have some good pieces. That's good. It's like when you get to this point too in the AFC where it's like, oh fuck, now we got to worry about Jacksonville. Like now we have to right. wait. because like Pittsburgh is all is like one game out of the wild card. And they're fucking excellent. And now we have to worry about Jacksonville and the Bills and the Jets. Like, we have to worry about all of these teams. And in the NFC, they have three teams. Yeah. Yeah, You might as well just do a Super Bowl of just AFC teams. It's so lopsided. Yeah, but it's so funny, too, because I think that the the 49ers would probably be the betting favorites if they made it in. Like. So it's easy to get out of the NFC seemingly. And also like the top, top, you know, tier of the NFC is good. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Trash. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I think they're going to fucking beat up on the Eagles. Really? I think they're going to absolutely decimate the Eagles. The Eagles played the Giants. The Giants are not a good football team. Yeah, but the Eagles have been doing that all season. <laughs> the Eagles have looked really, really poor uh, before Jalen Hurts' injury, obviously during Jalen Hurts' injury, and when he came back, the the game right before the, the bye week, he looked pretty bad as well. The Cowboys hung 40 on him, and yeah, it doesn't fair. matter. Jalen Hurts plays offense so that defense is right for the taking Kyle Shanahan is a mastermind on on the offensive side of the ball he's calling the plays they have Christian McCaffrey they have George Kittle they have Trent Williams on the O-line Brock Purdy is still you know he didn't have a great game but he didn't throw any picks so he's still very good at protecting the ball and I do love George Kittle I think there's real yeah there's some got some real weapons there yeah and, and in addition to George Kittle who's a great uh, you know, blocky and passing tight end. They also have Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel who can catch the ball. So it's not like a it's not like a Raven situation where it's like, uh, we have Mark Andrews and nobody else. It's like you have Kittle who's as good as Mark Andrews. If they used him more, he could get those numbers as well. And you have Brandon Ayuk and you have Debo Samuel and you have Christian McCaffrey who can catch the ball too. What like what is the defense going to do? Darius Slay can only cover one guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've been uh I just haven't watched a lot of those games. Um it's so weird to have this rookie quarterback and then you just slot him in and there are enough weapons that he can get carried. And I saw a couple of really, really impressive Eagles games early in the season, but so your position is that they are they've fallen off now and they're limping to the finish line? Literally. I mean they were literally limping to the finish line. I think that if I think that if uh if the Eagles score 38, the 49ers can score 41. Hmm. All right. And That's also cool. like the Eagles offense, I don't know. It's very hit or miss. I do think they're imposters. I think they'll be found out. 
but we'll see. I mean, I, I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong because I really like Jalen Hurts. I like Jason Kelsey. I would like a Kelsey versus Kelsey Super Bowl. That would be fun. That'd be sweet. <laughs> yeah, I like to see that a lot. Um, and then finally the Eagles. Well, like yeah, you know, I think we're my new revised position is apparently trash. Uh, but I I just assumed they were gonna be they were gonna be in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think a lot of people did. I don't know. The 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 49ers haven't lost really since they got Christian McCaffrey. That's a big deal. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a it's a huge addition. So, what did they do? I mean, so they played the Giants right before their bye week and the Eagles won 22 to 16. That's when Jalen Hurts came back. They lost to the Saints without Jalen Hurts, twenty to ten. The fact that the Saints can hang twenty on your defense, not great. Yeah, is that, that's a problem. And then they lost to the Cowboys, forty to thirty-four. The Bears scored twenty on them. Like they're giving up a lot of points to pretty bad fucking teams. Packers scored thirty-three on them. I don't know. the 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 defense is seriously lacking there. <laughs> this is a preseason game the Dolphins scored 48 <laughs> <laughs> rude yeah I don't know so we'll see that's uh, I'm 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 not sure on either of these games because I would absolutely just if it hadn't been for last year assume that the Chiefs are going to walk through the Bengals but there's something about that team there's something about Joe Burrow there's something about I don't know what the fuck's going on over there, but they seem to rise to the level of their competition. And so yeah, I don't think it's that's gonna... a good point. It's just strange because the they should have lost the Bengals should have lost the Ravens, and then they went and beat up the the Bills. And so, like, which Chiefs are you going to see? Uh, that'll, that'll be that'll and that I think that game, I think, is going to determine who wins the Super Bowl. I think that whichever AFC team makes it the Super Bowl wins. Yeah. I I don't know. I I think that the 49ers have a real good chance of winning the Super Bowl this year. If it was Chiefs versus 49ers, would I put money on the 49ers? No. But that that's a matchup that that's a rematch of whatever the Super Bowl from 2020. And the 49ers offense has gotten appreciably better. Um, with the addition of Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk sort of rise and the um, and also the addition of Elijah Mitchell, who replaced Raheem Mostert, and he's better. And the Chiefs offense hasn't gotten significantly better. In fact, with Tyreek Hill gone, it's gotten worse. And so they do have yeah, Pacheco that, helped and like given a slightly different dimension. They can, like, that's true. That's true. More. But th- it doesn't it seem weird that it just kind of is happening now? Like, I don't, he hasn't consistently been doing that. Mm-hmm. Because Clyde Edwards Hilaire hasn't been playing for a, a long time. He got injured in like, you know, the the first half of the season. And so Isaiah Pacheco has been out there a lot. I remember watching him have like a 100 rush game and the announcers being like, this is the first 100 rush game under Andy Reid's tenure of any running back. <laughs> like, Yeah. So, I mean, if they can implement that consistently and that can like, open up some RPO options for for uh, Mahomes, that could be great, but I just don't know how consistent their running game is. Yeah, that's a good point. That's kind of, that's a really dangerous team if they can be a little bit more 
know, it's like the opposite of the Ravens of if they can get a little bit of a running game yeah. uh, as opposed to getting a little bit of the passing game just to balance it out. So, like you said, so you get the RPO and um, it's harder to defend because it's not just Mahomes slinging bombs the entire time. Um, that that could be the, the formula for sustained success. But yeah, I haven't seen it be consistent this season yet. Mahomes is also injured, which is something to consider. Yeah, so his legs all, all fucked up. So he is a high. Tony ankle Romo sprain. was trying to explain it. Yeah, it's a high ankle sprain, um, and he he should be able to. Uh, well, from and from Shannon Sharp's anecdotal experience, he he got a similar thing. He went in the back. They put cortisone in his uh, ankle and then he went out and played again and so I think he believes that Mahomes will be fine as long as they inject him full of medicine before the game starts he won't really feel it um, and Mahomes is a gamer so he's not going to not do that but that's like you know at what cost yeah <laughs> can he do that how many weeks in a row can he do that can he do that um, he's going to have to do it two, two weeks right well but that's the thing it's not two weeks in a row it's oh, there's a break, so that there's would a break, be, which be good. Uh, maybe or like Romo was talking about, like when you get that sprain, you can play that week and then you're like limping on crutches the next week. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, they'll, but that's it. That's a huge difference. If, you know, uh, an injured Mahomes, you know, maybe Joe Burrow just walks all over. Him. Maybe. I mean, we'll see. I mean, the Chiefs offense or defense has also been surprisingly good down the stretch. Um, and they're never going to be like a great defense, obviously, because they invest so heavily in their offense and doesn't seem like Andy Reid could care less what's going on on that side of the ball. Um, but they're not as much of a glass cannon anymore. It's not just score 50 points and hope they can actually defend the ball a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of NFL stuff happening. Aaron Rodgers is doing his will he won't will they won't they thing with the Packers. It's still happening. Um, there's like a lot of it's weird. You have two legends who are kind of on the outs with their teams, and like everybody's trying to figure out where they should go. And the top teams are like the Raiders and the Jets. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Like Yes, go to the Raiders, play in the same division as Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, and like don't make the like you had an awful season, and the team is really bad, and so this is like a weird uh, juncture in NFL history where these two like you know dominant quarterbacks are just kind of being phased out, and it's it's time for them to retire. Like that's where they should go next is home. Yeah, it's it's not it's not on their own terms like they are being forced out of the door um, and the Packers are fielding trade sort of like, you know, uh, requests for Aaron Rodgers. But I don't think they've their, their mailbox has been thus far emptied. Um, <laughs> Nobody wants him. Well, yeah, I mean, his price tag is going to be like $60 million or some shit like that. And he sucks and he's an asshole. So it's like what um yeah he could go ironically enough to the jets which is where Brett Favre went after the packers replaced aaron rod or him with aaron Rodgers. it's also where joe flacco went that is also where joe flacco currently is and it is very strange to me too that they didn't start that guy over mike white when they benched 
uh, Zach Tyler or what's that kid's name? Zach Wilson. Yeah. Uh, and everybody loved Mike White and then Mike White got hurt and then they should have started Flacco. Yeah, they just really don't want to start Flacco for whatever reason. I guess if he gets super hot, it's like, oh, God, we got to do something about this old guy. <laughs> don't want to have to pay him. I don't know. It's very weird to, like, employ him but then not use him at all when you've got this weird, like, quarterback mutiny situation. Yeah. And was DeMar Hamlin at the game, the Bills game? Yeah, I think he was, like, he, like, ran, went to the locker room and said hi from what I saw. Yeah, because he is, he's out and about, he's walking around, he's, you know, recovering and shit like that. It's pretty astonishing. It's great. Yeah, he seems, it's, they tried to show pictures of his family during the game, but then there was too much snow and you couldn't actually see the, like, the box with the people inside. It was just this blurry image of shapes. Um, but he seems to be good. Yeah, it's great. Very reassuring. Oh, man. Oh, God. So I, I finally understand why he posted this. Uh, he posted a photo of himself uh, next to a... Here, let me just show you. He posted a photo of himself next to this mural that they did in Buffalo. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, posted this three hours ago because he's currently trending... And the reason he's trending is because there are conspiracy theorists who believe he is dead. Oh, no. What? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So to be clear, the caption on that photo, it's a nice little mural, is clone. Yeah. Um, is the little <laughs> caption. Like, why? I thought it was like, oh, because the mural looks like him? No, because people think he died. I mean, to be clear, he did, but only temporarily. He's he's fine. Yes. Um, God, they, people think that he died because of the vaccine for COVID and they're propping him up with the body double? Yes. This is so crazy. And it's also so complicated. Like, why would they do any of that? Yeah, I mean, the, this is the thing about conspiracy theories is that, I mean, now he's becoming the John Cena meme. <laughs> <laughs> he's invisible. That's very funny. Um, people don't understand how defibrillators and CPR works. And, uh, people have a hard time i guess reckoning with the fact that like yes you did see him die but like they brought him back yeah and it wasn't through like necromancy this is nuts and uh, yeah so it's based on this photo of him where you can't really see him and they're comparing it to photos of him where uh, you can see his full face and they think there's a body double walking around and again this is like I guess this is just the world we live in now. Yeah, this is just like everything is fake. There, yeah, um, nothing can be real anymore. Yeah. Wow. That's awful. Um, I'm glad he's taking it in stride, though. He's tweeting and stuff like that. And I'm sure he doesn't really want to be out in public like doing stuff. No, I'm sure he's exhausted. <laughs> he's still recovering. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he's also immunocompromised now. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, and you know, there's all this stuff going around about, uh, do you, do you remember Jim Brewer? No, Jim Brewer. Uh, he was in half baked, half baked. If you ever saw that movie, he was not the, the, the white stoner roommate, the other white stoner roommate. (laughs) Um, he was a comedian for a long time, like friends with like Dave Chappelle and stuff like that. And, uh, 
uh, very similar to Dave Chappelle. Like <laughs> you became a sort of right wing uh, champion and stuff like that. Uh, and he's been doing stand up comedy at these like conservative rallies and conventions and shit like that. Yeah. And he did he did a bit about there's this sort of thing going around about the Pfizer vaccine and the meme is that people will be like dancing or whatever and they'll be like shaking and seizing and stuff like that and then the caption will be like just got that Pfizer or something like that and so that's stupid uh on top of that uh so Jim Brewer did a I can't really call it like a bit he, he just did it um where he started like shaking and convulsing and you know uh reference to mara hamlin gross yeah that's so gross but that's like that's been happening like this is like all sort of coming to a head right now the nfl is covering for this and that and the third and i didn't understand it until i just saw that jamar hamlin tweet and saw why he was trending and that's why jim brewer did that um so this is just like a thing that's happening the, and also- the rabbit hole you have to go down to like unpack the like i understand that this is this joke is in bad taste, but I don't even understand why. Yeah. Like, this is obviously gross, but the levels that I have to get to to fully comprehend the the grossness of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exhausting. There's also, uh, have you heard about the APA African-American studies thing? No. Tell me about this. So in Florida, so the... APA- oh, yeah. So the the Florida Board of Education or whatever rejected some kind of uh, proposition to create an AP course about African-American studies. Is that Well, there is an AP, yes. So, so there is an AP course on African-American studies that they're sort of um, wheeling out. If you don't know, advanced placement courses are college-level courses that uh, students with, well, I guess, whatever that, aptitude are able to take um in high school in order to get some college credit and there are a host of these there's ap government ap english language ap english literature ap psychology ap world history ap history um and they're they are always making you know classes all the time uh different courses and different curricula to reflect what's happening at colleges like the the point of ap is to get students prepared for college level courses and also potentially to save them a little bit of money um when and it looks good on their applications also of like oh you took ap level your courses you're already able to kind of handle this level of rigor yes and when i went into college i was able to use uh, 21 credits worth of AP credit or whatever, which was the only reason I was able to finish with a double major or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, like half a semester or something. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, no. And so it's really good uh, for, for students and shit like that. And it also exposes them to different stuff. And the AP uh, African-American Studies course I was looking through the curriculum is, is, is very good. It's like some stuff that I teach at the college level. It's a sweet class. Nice. Uh, so they rejected it uh in florida public schools and so how does this work is the ap association or whatever sets up the curriculum and then peddles it to state boards of education and be like here's what we want to do adopted or not it's college board 
Oh, College yeah. Board. Okay. Yeah. So College Board runs the AP stuff. They're the same organization that runs the SATs. Um, and yeah, so essentially they just create these courses. And like not all schools offer all AP courses. There's like at, at my school, for instance, you we didn't have AP government because there was nobody who could teach it. Um, but mm -hmm. like broadly in the state, AP government was something that you could do. Right. And so you sort of pick and choose based on people's proficiencies. To, to teach. And what they do is College Board sends out a suggested curricula. And so it's like, in this week, you'll cover this. Here are three suggested readings. And this week, you'll do this. Here are some suggested readings. Um, they give them learning outcomes and all that shit, mm -hmm. um, which is great. Honestly, sometimes as an educator, I yeah, wish. That's great. I would love to just be able to plug and play. Like, yeah, just give me a couple of options. I'll pick one out of three. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so they they were they were upset about certain facets of the class one of the things that they are upset about is uh that angela davis was on the suggested readings and they called her a marxist um and what is exceedingly funny about that is that in av world history you read a marxist named marx <laughs> actual Karl Marx, right? <laughs> and the reason that you do that is because without knowledge of Karl Marx and Marxism and, and communism, you cannot understand the world. Like that is a massive current, right? Mm -hmm. And it, arguably without understanding at what she was categorized with intersectionalists. So like Kimberly Crenshaw, Patricia Hill Collins, Angela Davis, without understanding that current of, 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 of this sort of like, uh, intellectual uh, fields that they sort of develop, you really can't understand the world. Like that, it's 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 all stuff that's priming students to understand key concepts and key ideas that intuitively they already know. Like when you teach students about intersectionality, you know, it's like you have multiple intersecting identity categories that. Uh, provide you with relative privilege in some areas and relative disadvantages in other areas, they intuitively go, oh, that's a theory. That's just something I kind of know. Right. That's just something they deal with every day when they have yeah. to have, like, put their student hat on and their athlete hat on and whatever job they're working and they go home and they got a different hat at yeah. home for their parents like that. Oh, yeah. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Mo, my identity is very flexible. Like, <laughs> But so, so that was one of the reasons they didn't like it. The other reason is that... <laughs> But just so, to be clear, does Florida public schools offer regular AP history where you read actual Karl Marx? Yeah, they do. Jesus they Christ. do. Okay. Um, yeah, this is all dog whistle bullshit. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing that they were upset about was that there was a, um, a week on queer theory. And, <laughs> and Ron DeSantis in a press conference says, what is, what is, and this is like, couldn't be dumber a dumber thing to say what does african-american studies have to do with queer theory is what he says because these are of course mutually exclusive and there are no right queer black people apparently there's no like and 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 okay. again in in a in ap english literature you do read james baldwin mm -hmm. like prominent is, queer black person it's just a massive like Ron DeSantis is the failure of public education that he is propagating. Like mm -hmm. he's a product of this. People have have dug up things about him talking about how uh, in 1776, 
people started questioning slavery. What? Yeah. And that one, that's when it became a huge topic in American society. And you know, people, I think, rightfully pointed out that then why did it take 100 years for emancipation to happen after that point? We just started that conversation. It was a very slow conversation. <laughs> no, people people definitely <laughs> talked about slavery and glowing terms, I would add. Um, and, and, and not to mention that there are people in the UK who are in the middle of abolishing it at that same time. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> we still hadn't abolished like the transatlantic slave trade. That wouldn't happen until the next century. Right. So it's like importing uh, employ or not employing in the traditional sense, uh, subjecting to ser- servitude and subjugation like these people. And it is this just like the other thing was that it was going to it was going to teach critical race theory. Um, oh, spooky. But, and, I, you know, and half the people who oppose that can't even tell you what that is. They just right. think it's scary. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but also like most people can't tell you what it is. Also, like Ron DeSantis is out there, you know, uh, talking about Martin Luther King Jr. and shit like that. And it's like, do you understand the paradox here where it's like critical race theory is a, a foundational critique of how race is a fundamental determining factor in, in in creating and fomenting inequality in ways that are structured through history and that is exactly the confrontation that martin luther king jr was involved in sort of creating uh was confronting that system and that history he would have believed in it he would have believed that it was true he was one of the foundational people who wrote about and who Funk like if there's a critical race theory class that doesn't have some kind of engagement with him, then it's probably not a very good class. Like this is all yeah, all of his little speeches about you know the white moderate uh, is like that's about critical race theory. That's like right well, in, entrenched that, privilege. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, that's 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 happening in Florida. Florida is a horrible place to live. Um, and this is like. Also, DeSantis. DeSantis is the mythological Florida man, truly. Yeah, <laughs> and he's man alive. He's preparing to, he's preparing to, I guess, potentially challenge Trump in twenty twenty four. Not sure, um, but there's this like massive imbalance that's happening currently, where Trump like tapped Kevin McCarthy to be like Speaker of the House. And then there's like 20 Republicans who wouldn't vote for them. And because the red wave never happened, um, uh, in fact, it was like a more of a blue stalemate. There was, you know, there what there weren't enough Republican votes to push it through without these 20 doofuses. And so Kevin McCarthy went up for the speaker vote a billion times. And so there's this huge rift in the Republican Party. And he had to mortgage a bunch of bullshit away in order to even get the position, which is going to now hold our economy hostage in some deeply stupid way. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, no, this is a it's kind of it's a bad place to live right now. Um, and uh, I don't see it getting better anytime soon. It's also like, is Joe Biden alive? Is he round? I, I am more willing to believe Joe Biden body double theories <laughs> than I am Demar Hamlin body double theories. He shows up randomly. He showed up on Saturday Night Live last week. 
because of uh, Aubrey Plaza was hosting and they're both from Delaware. And so he like recorded this video and it's like, that's the only time we see Joe Biden is from the fucking neck up. And Joe Biden is giving off real like class president vibes of like doesn't like do anything. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's weird how much legislation the Biden administration has passed and how many things that they have done. (laughs) Like, Yeah, I mean, the man himself seems like he's, you know, very much like Captain Pike in the chair, beeping and booping. Yeah. Um, But yeah, they're getting stuff done, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, they did the student loan forgiveness shit, which I mean, mm-hmm. like the, the degree to which any of this is is enough is debatable. But there's no question that he did that. He got troops out of Afghanistan. He did that. The degree to which that was a smart idea. Again, debatable. People are <laughs> well, he's doing actually, things. He's doing he's just doing shit. It's so crazy to that he's doing shit like this proxy war with Ukraine with Russia. Right. Yeah. Like very effective in moving troops around the board on the giant risk board. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Because there is like, there was this all discourse when Obama was president that he didn't do anything largely because Congress was stacked against him. Um, And now that Biden has like, he doesn't have a majority or anything like that, but Congress is not stacked against. They don't have a majority. So he's able to like do stuff. And so it's going to be very interesting to know what Trump does when they debate. Yeah. And Trump, again, I'm very confused about is the dude even like legally allowed to run again? (laughs) Does that not matter? I thought he was like barred from that because of, you know, treason reasons. He's allowed to run again, but a lot of stuff is happening in like the the New York courts that might I don't know he might go to jail or some shit. But he's declared that he's running, and I think that the the sort of like conspiracy behind that was he declares he's running so that he doesn't get uh, arrested and imprisoned. Because like, how would that look? Um, it's so weird the the amount of like, uh the amount of legal intangibility a, pre- a former president or even presidential candidate gets in the U.S. Because, like, in all yeah, they of the immune, like diplomatic immunity. Yeah. yeah. It's so frustrating. Like, you can just basically run for president as a scam to give yourself immunity from investigation. Yeah. Uh, prosecution. It, it sucks. It's probably what he's doing. And then, like, his family started, like, falling away i think when he announced ivanka trump was like i won't be involved in this moving forward because it sucks and i hate it um and so yeah we'll see but ron DeSantis is positioning himself to be the next horrid president of the united states what a dumbass yeah all right cool cool, cool. love that oh i don't know we'll see the speaking of bad shit do you like wes anderson um occasionally i'm not like i won't i won't just like watch any wes anderson thing um i know he's got a very specific style that like kind of weirds me out i really like the fantastic mr fox um and what was it moonrise kingdom was good um but like i don't like get much of his stuff like the what's it the fabulous what's their names um the Royal Tenenbaums. Thank you. <laughs> I'm impressed that you got that off of a totally wrong title. Yeah, Royal Tenenbaums. I, I don't, it doesn't 
I don't get it, I guess. Yeah, I watched uh I realized he was a huge sort of like um blind spot in my sort of cultural understanding of film. I hadn't watched many f- of his movies. I watched Moonrise Kingdom when it came out in theaters, I think because Prince B insisted. Yeah, and that's all right. And there's the hotel something that he did. Well, that's what I watched yesterday. I was like, this is bad. This is like really stupid. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. It's like, I mean, he has a kind of like David O. Russell level prestige. So everybody is in that movie. Yes, absolutely. So you have like, uh, I mean, Tony Revolori was was, was a, the, the relative unknown who was in that. And also Saoirse Ronan, who blew up afterwards. But like Ray Fiennes, F. Murray Abraham, uh, 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 Ed Norton, uh, Adrian Brody, like big uh, Owen Wilson popped up randomly during the film. He had this like series of runners where it was like people who worked at different hotels. And I guess they have like a network of hoteliers where it was like Bill Murray and Bob Balaban, like these, like just like you can get anybody in these fucking movies. It's all a bunch of like weird uh, Harvey Keitel is in the movie. Like Mm -hmm. the list goes on and on and on. And I was like, man, this is so quirky and so bizarrely whimsical and 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 I hate it. Like, I can't get behind this. I don't understand. I don't get it. So I was hoping you could explain it to me. But it sounds like you don't get it. Either. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Like, I'll, I'll watch. It feels like New Yorker humor of like, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, this yeah. is this should elicit a sensible chuckle. But why, though? Can you explain the joke to me or is it just kind of like, uh, people being quirky and there's a certain level of that kind of stylized quirkiness that i think we've all been told is funny and charming and it's best not to think about it too hard or it starts to break down like a facade yeah i would recommend fantastic mr fox because it's an adaptation of a roll roll doll book i think um that i really enjoyed as a child and because it's not just like a wes anderson joint through and through i think he works better as an adapter of other material and Roald Dahl stuff is like weird and quirky to begin with, but it's got like a biting sense of uh, like a drive to it um, where everything's like a little fucked up. And that helps give Wes Anderson's um, quirkiness some teeth that it otherwise lacks when it's just him on his own. Okay. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's so fucking weird. And his movies are so weird. Like they're so there's something like deeply cynical about them, but they're so like bright and shit like that. Like there was a whole, there was a whole thing where, uh, Ray finds in that movie was, you know, would like wax poetic and like recite poetry and shit like that. And then Tony Revolori would stop him every time before he finished whatever the stanza. And like the, the whole bit is that like, that is annoying to do. And so Tony Revolver stops it, but it is also indulging in it where, where it's like, but Ray Fine still spends like 10% of this movie reciting fuck shit poetry. And I have to watch it and it's annoying. And I'm just like very pointed, but it's like, what's the critique? Yeah. I'm just not sure. And that's very much why it feels like New Yorker humor to me. It's like, Oh yes, this is very cynical. But if you don't agree with the basic premise of why they're being cynical, then that's not for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it is. I mean, there we've been sort of like watching much 
less, uh, I guess you could call it smart shit and doing a lot less dumb shit, watching a lot, a lot more dumb shit. That is, um, like we always stay and stand real housewives and shit like that. Like we always do that. Um, but I, yeah, I, we watched, um, when we went to, you tried to go in the other direction and do a Wes Anderson movie to like balance it out and got burned by it. Yeah. Just to be like, yeah, what's going on here where it's like, let me watch like some art house movie or something like that. And this is one I've never seen. Let me watch it. What we were watching in Pittsburgh because, um, nephews insisted what was the final destination movies. (laughs) (laughs) And those movies are fucking crazy bad, but also like there's something about a horror movie with a pointed like gimmick that is inherently interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are absolutely just gimmick movies. Yeah. Because it's like the, the movies are a series of, Rube Goldberg devices where people <laughs> die and it is really interesting sort of like film craft. Right. They're uh, just like really, really serious Tom and Jerry cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. And every set piece they have to sort of like develop it. And I was like looking at, we watched final destination too. I was looking at the, like the Wikipedia entry and there was all this shit about like CG special effects innovations that were in the movie and shit like that. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I guess these movies are like important somehow, um, which is crazy to say, considering like how fucking bad they are. But uh, Tony Todd is in the movies. He plays the guy who knows everything <laughs> and is refuses to say anything about it. Um, so it was good. Or it was great to see him. And each of the kills is like really, really fucking it, it it straddles that line between do they understand how campy this is and ridiculous or did somebody think this was a really good idea so the there's one, always one character who has like the shining like the, mm-hmm. the ability to see shit that other people can't see like clairvoyance or something and throughout the movie she is she is seeing images and and misinterpreting them so horribly and the audience knows like she's like the the person the person who's going to die next dies in a crash in the water and they're drowning blah 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 and you know because you've seen her that it is her in the car but she doesn't put it together until the very end of the movie and so you're like oh that's fucking she's just i guess she's dumb or the movie's like uh, look how dumb she's being cuz she can't interpret an obvious thing then there was one where <laughs> then there was one where she had this vision of pigeons and she's like it's pigeons pigeons is the next clue and so a kid goes to the dentist the dentist starts working on his teeth a pigeon barrels into the window leaving a huge like starburst of glass and the and and rather than reacting with like horror and terror because that is a crazy thing to happen the fucking (laughs) the dentist is like oh these damn pigeons again like that it happens all the time. They're just replacing their windows every week. <laughs> but like, is that funny? Or is it? Is it like that is what I can never understand about those movies. Are is they it, trying to be campy or not? Yeah, I don't know. It's so weird. Like the a guy, uh, the first kill is a guy who goes to his apartment and there's like an Incubus song playing. And it, it's like very dated in that way. The, the soundtracks are all like 
shit like new metal shit from the early 2000s and he does something that nobody does where he has pasta laying out from the night before in a skillet and he takes it and he throws it out of his window and so you know that that's going to kill him somehow why is he throwing his leftover pasta out the window it doesn't make any sense i don't know i've never met anyone in the history of the world that's done that because there's also a trash can in his apartment and shit like that. Yeah. Because he's just a bad guy. This man deserves to die. So he throws his pasta out the window and then a series of events happen in the apartment where he gets his... They're so... They're like infomercial level stupid. He takes his ring off. It falls into the sink and, and into the garbage disposal. So he puts his hand in there to grab it. Mm-hmm. And then he has his hand gets stuck because he has a watch on. The watch gets stuck, and then like it's some fucking Rube Goldberg device has made it so that now the apartment is on fire, and so he's trying to pull himself out of out of the fucking garbage disposal, which somehow I think turns on. And of course, <laughs> there's like fire engulfing the, the 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 apartment building. He gets out at the last second. He goes to the window. He cracks through the window. And you're like, oh, he's safe. Except the spaghetti. How's the spaghetti going to come? Right, he's going to slip on the pasta. <laughs> so he so he, he goes onto the ladder in his, on the fire escape, climbs down the ladder. He slips on the pasta. And then the ladder impales his eye. Aww. So he slips onto his back. And then the ladder that he used to climb down goes through his head. And that's how he dies. And so it's a really cool thing, I guess, but it all of the conceits of the kills are crazy. It's like let let a person do a crazy irrational thing that no one would ever do and we're going to work backwards to see how that kills them. Right, and just have this total Rube Goldberg chain of events to get to their death based on their yeah, well, serves them right for throwing that pasta out, I guess. Also, pasta, the eminently uh like preservable food you just mm-hmm. put it in the fridge you never throw <laughs> pasta out <laughs> yeah absolutely god that's so wild crazy uh, uh we good no no go for it oh we just watched um two very different movies um when marnie was there which is uh i think it's from like 2013 2014 um it uh, low. Was it low? No, it, it lost is the word I was looking for. Lost out to Inside Out it was um also uh nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature that year. Um, and it is equally like destructive in its like emotional weight. Um, it's really really good. Uh, it is a Ghibli production. Um, but it is not. And it's it is cute in the way that all Ghibli films like are have a beautiful representation of like the Japanese countryside, um, but it's it's tough. It's uh it's an adaptation of a novel, and it's um basically a gothic romance. It's like sort of a ghost story, uh, and this girl goes out into the countryside because she's got like asthma, um, so very much like gothic heroine has to go to the countryside for the better air. Um, and lives with uh, goes to stay with her aunt and uncle and there's this abandoned house 
on the marshes that she sees. And then she starts seeing a girl in the house, even though the house is abandoned and then makes friends with this girl who may or may not be a ghost. And um, it, she starts learning things about her that she shouldn't be able to know. And there's a big, like interesting uh, reveal at the end. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, yep. It's it's like sad, but also um, like affirming kind of. So I'd absolutely recommend that. Um, Do you think it should have won over Inside Out? It's close. I remember Inside Out really hitting me too. I think this is the better film, um, technically. Yeah. Uh, Inside Out is more broad and like, you know, more broadly applicable. I mean, it was Inside Out's really good. I'm not taking anything away from that movie, but I think um, gaming Ghibli movies are always more technically proficient in terms of their, their animation. They're beautiful in a way that that the 3D animation of Pixar is cool, but it's not not every frame is a work of art every time. Yeah. Uh, I asked because this, I, I was just looking at the Academy Award slate for this year, and this is a very, very bad year for movies um, where people were <laughs> where people were award, rewarded for really really mediocre work and i say this being a huge leonardo leonardo dicaprio stan it's the year he won for the revenant which okay is like a fucking who gives a fuck movie uh-huh. um and alejandro inuritu won his second oscar that year uh for best director uh having won for birdman like the a couple years before hmm. this was also the year brie larson won for room Oh. Brie Larson beat Kate Blanchett and Carol. That's tough. That's a Carol's an excellent movie. That is impossible. I've seen both of those movies. Kate Blanchett is Kate Blanchett. Like, this is the weird thing with her, I think, because it's it's gonna happen again this year at the Academy Awards where uh, Michelle Yeoh is like due for an Academy Award. She's mm-hmm. and she's great. She's been in so many iconic films. From Crouching Tiger, Crazy Rich Asians, all the movies. Yeah, this is one of her, like, she's going to get a Lifetime Achievement Award, but, like, this is, she should get the Oscar this year as her, like, it's her turn kind of thing. Yes, and she doesn't deserve it over, I don't know if deserve is the right word, but she doesn't, she doesn't have a better performance in the context of her movie than Kate Blanchett does within the context of her movie. Like, Kate Blanchett and Tar is transcendent, but it's, it's one of those weird things with her where it's like, why why give her more oscars she's always transcendent is the thing yeah i guess yeah they're they're just like we just can't keep giving Kate blanchett oscars which is weird because they give meryl streep a bunch of oscars that she should not have Mm -hmm. there's just something about uh, the academy where they're like no let's let brie larson's up and coming yeah i mean these awards are such bullshit and 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 this 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 politicking of even we're like engaging in this really shows how how much bullshit they are they're not about who had the best performance this year they're never about that there's all this extra nonsense and like comparative goalpost moving about some the relative position somebody's in in their career and you know what have they been in recently and what do they mean for the box office and like it's not just about which performance hit you hardest which performance transported you which performance made you feel and cry and like which performance 
told you something about the human condition. Like, it's not really an acting award in that way. It's some other thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is, yeah, it sucks. Alicia Vikander won for the Danish girl and beat Rooney Mara for Carol, which is nuts to me. Yeah, so this is a weird, this is a weird year. And also Inside it's Out weird. was nominated with not only when Marnie was there, but also with Anomalisa. Have you ever seen that? No. That movie is fucking fantastic. I think it's a Charlie Kaufman joint. Charlie Kaufman movie. I went, I saw it at a art house theater when it came out uh, for some reason. I would never watch a fucking animated movie under any circumstances. But somebody was like, do you want to go watch this movie? And I said, yes. Um, and I was stunned how beautiful that movie is. And it's very, it's, I mean, it's Charlie Kaufman. So it's very sad. It's about death and shit. Um, but yeah, this is a weird, weird year, weird year for Oscars. And that's also happening now. Uh, well, when Marnie with the air is, is when Marnie was there is fantastic. And like, just, we were emotionally wrecked for the rest of the evening. It's, it's really, it's a, it's a heavy hitter. Um, but also beautiful and funny and you know, clever. So yeah, totally recommend it. Um, and then we watched Dial M for Murder, which is really <laughs> interesting um, just in its position in film history. Uh, Hitchcock um, is quoted as saying, uh, 3D was a nine-day a nine fad, and I came in on the ninth day. Uh, this was filmed in 3D, and then audiences hated it. <laughs> And yeah. they and they started showing it in 2D, and then they like showed it again in 3D in the 80s, and brought it back. And be like, oh yeah, this is sweet. We should do the 3D uh, cut of it instead. But so obviously we watched it in 2D on our TVs at home, um, and it's it's fun. It's a little movie. It's one of these. It was a stage play. It gets adapted. Some of the original actors from the stage play are in it, uh, reprising their roles. And it's I always forget. Like I'll go you know, months or years without watching Hitchcock movie, like, oh, Hitchcock, you know, they're really good, but it's, you know, it's all like really heavy source material and it's all really dark. And then I watch them and they're always like funny and light and clever and like biting um, and acidic in a way that's really snappy and the characters are well realized. I'm like, oh yeah, he was just the best at this. And they're in, they're filmed in interesting ways. And so it's just, it's like a funny movie because <laughs> it's mostly watching this guy fail to uh, pull off this clever scheme that he spends like a lot of time explaining and then you see him just like fuck it up the rest of the film yeah yeah no he 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 had like a period there where he just wasn't missing it, it, it's interesting because Hitchcock is like a really divisive figure like everybody who sort of followed in his footsteps like the sort of like neo hitchcocks like the brian de palmas and stuff like that a very short shelf life it's it's like he was able to capture that type of movie at that moment and that's the only time it would have worked was in that sort of like post-war period because even like shit like frenzy i mean people do defend frenzy which was a movie he made in 1972 after he got like out of the out of the code um it kind of sucks. Like it, there was something about the, the limitations that he had to go around that makes his movies so much better because everything is implicit. Yeah. And this is something that I vehemently disagree with Quentin Tarantino on who recently talked about Hitchcock and said, Hitchcock, I don't like him. 
I prefer De Palma because Hitchcock made all of his movies when there was this like very uh, uh, overzealous code in the 1950s. And I I would have preferred to see what he would have done in the 70s or like I prefer his pre-code movies. And I couldn't disagree more. I feel like his code movies, like that's the only time that Hitchcock worked the best. I do like some of his pre-code shit, but his post-code shit is really good. Yeah, and the I think you know, Hitchcock's able to interrogate people lying. And like what works so well about the post-war period of this like enforced um like everything's fine, don't worry about it. Uh and then picking away at that very thin facade of politeness and civility and revealing that everybody's still nuts and traumatized from the war and out to, you know, they're all deviants and they're going to kill each other. Um, works really well for his sarcastic viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And so being able to film these sort of clever, you get to see underneath the carpeting and like the things people are trying to sweep onto the rug. I think the the confluence of um, his outlook on the world and what was happening in the world and the code forcing him to do it in like a clever, oblique way all ties together to make these really um, unsettling films. And the guy who does it really well is Park Chan-wook. Like that's a guy who loves Hitchcock and knows how to make a movie that's really shot beautifully and interrogates you know, veils of civility and reveals all of these like crazy people just simmering under the surface. I think he gets it a lot of the way. I feel like Hitchcock would have hated Park Chan-wook's movies, though. (laughs) Why is that? Well, one, they violate one of his cardinal sins, which is they're too fucking long. Well, yes, that's a fair point. They are (laughs) way too long. If 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 Hitchcock could like cut them down to 90 minutes, he might like them. Yeah, I mean... Well, he like he had some quote about a film shouldn't challenge the like the limits of the human bladder. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. He's totally right. Um, and they're extremely violent. I don't know. I I don't know that he craved that explicit violence. I think that he worked within. There's something very regal about his films. There's something very sort of like not puritanical but there's like because it's not puritanical because there's like an implicit uh chaos in all of the on all of his movies yeah he's making movies f- to destabilize and disrupt a puritanical society yes and, and but in order to do that his characters have to be sort of like button up mm-hmm. things can't come out like just think about thirst that that movie's just like fucking gross prosthetics. He also didn't really fuck with prosthetics, and that wasn't because of the time he was in. It was also like uh, he didn't have to. No, I'm thinking specifically about Stoker, which is again Park Chan making it, but it's not his script. Um, and Stoker was specifically right. about like very restrained, very buttoned up, and then punctuated with. Um, it's also a remake, essentially of. Um, Hitchcock movie, like specifically, um, being uh, with the Uncle Charlie, um, Shadow of a Doubt. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Hitchcock, obviously, people try to remake Hitchcock all the time and it rarely works. And I think that one is a faithful adaptation because it does the what we're talking about, which is these very subtle, um, 
a sort of uh, slowly percolating, simmering chaos underneath the surface that eventually explodes. Yeah, I also wonder if he's how he would do with incest because that pops up a lot in Martian movies. Oh, I mean, it pops up in. I mean, it specifically pops up in Stoker because it pops up in Shadow of a Doubt. Like that's the sort of thing that is part of gothic horror and is very much part of um, Hitchcock's bag of tricks of in interrogating and destabilizing what is supposed to be a polite, well-ordered family where everybody's in the roles that they're assigned and there's no transgressions. Like incest is one of those like deeply disturbing things that like rattles what's supposed to be a perfect home. Um, Hitchcock would totally be into that using that as a tool in the way the gothic horror uses it as a tool there's incest in shadow of a doubt um yes absolutely i mean there is uncle charlie's relationship with charlie is deeply fucked up okay and and there's a lot of implied strangeness with uncle charlie and his sister also where she's like very devoted to him in a way that is uncomfortable and unclear but again, it's all oblique because it's a code movie. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a. Yeah, there's a there's just a quaintness to his films that I think is very interesting. Uh, yeah, quaint, but they they still snap. You know, the good ones are. They they don't feel like relics in the way that um some other movies of that time do. Yeah. Yeah, no, Rear Window is great. Uh, and I recently watched that and was shocked at how entertaining he could make a one-set movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's specifically thinking about COVID movies. Like, yeah. there's something really valuable, I think, of going back and watching. Like, oh, you can do this. Like, this is doable. And they here's some good blueprints for how. I think Anton Fuqua did that great with uh, the guilty, which I, I I think I talked about the Jake mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal where he's just, just Jake Gyllenhaal in a room, <laughs> in a room talking on a fucking uh, uh, a speaker type thing, um, and yeah, it's 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 really interesting. There's like uh, I don't know. There's I, I like the sound stage is returning back to American cinema. It's very yeah, very that's cool, bizarre. But it's also very interesting. All right. So one last thing, thing that I watched, speaking of sound stages and small sets, um, though it's mostly CGI, is I watched the first three episodes of Andor. And okay. I saw them as well. I am frustrated with Andor right now because we, we've we've goofed about the idea of like making a movie and then just like chopping it up at random intervals to make episodes. Mm-hmm. Um Andor feels to me like they whiteboarded like a bunch of ideas for a movie and then rather than cutting it down into a movie's worth of material, put up all of their ideas, even though they should have edited them down. The first three episodes of Andor, and maybe I'm supposed to be watching them in three episode chunks, um, but the amount of material in the first three episodes of Andor versus the amount of actual like stuff that matters in the first three episodes of Andor, you I could have just watched episode three and I feel like I would have lost nothing. Um, and I could have cut out, you gave me, you give me those three files and I could 
chop it up to give you back a 45-minute episode that has all of the relevant information, cuts out that little red droid entirely because it is just a voicemail machine, and gives you like a really snappy, clean, um, effective, like tense drama. They seem to be like role-playing out like what if we watched these people go about their daily lives as a as like a substitute for really learning about them as characters? It just like nothing happens in episode two. But that's and the point. it doesn't start or end. Really? Is is that the point? The point is to show what life was like during this period of Star Wars, where it's like nobody nobody understands what it's like to live under these conditions. Nobody's ever spelled it out. Every time we watch a movie, it's like Darth Vader will kill everything. Big, big ships going. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I agree that I here's the thing. All of the actors in this are awesome. Their performances yeah. are really, really good. I don't think it's an excuse to just like watch them making coffee. Um, there's like there's that there's more we can that, be doing. That is a question. Them. though. That is a question of what do people even eat? How did they ration food? Like how did how was there a power structure? Like what kind of work did they do? It is interesting to see them working in the mines and like the bell tolling and Andor's like participation in the underground economy and what does that even look like and the corruption of the police like. That's all the stuff that people said they wanted to see about Star Wars, and that's why Andor got this huge pop. That's fair, and I really, really like the like East India Mining Company thing they've got going on, and like that, yeah, the like the rent-a-cop dumbasses, and like that's a very, very that power relationship of we want to keep the Empire off our backs, and then we're also going to be jerks to these people in our territories. Yeah, yeah. that is fascinating to me. I think that's a really strong story. I just think that they had like a good example is um, the first time you see that deputy inspector and there's like a goof about he's tailored his his outfit because he's like a sad cosplayer who wants to be a fascist. Hilarious. Really good joke and tells you everything you need to know about what a loser and a tool he is. Mm -hmm. And then there's like three or four other scenes of him where he continues to be a loser and a tool. And they all felt to me like less effective versions of that first joke and you could have cut them but because they have a 12 episode order yeah they're just gonna like let everything out on screen but have you seen what happens to him uh i've only watched the first three episodes so i see him get wrecked uh which is excellent yeah I, I, they're building a they're building an arc for him uh yeah i think that there's a lot of table setting that is for my money, most all of it does pay off. Okay. And and the other thing with this type of show that I do appreciate more, I think this is why the Book of Boba Fett didn't work, because they just kind of started in the middle of a, like, they started in the, in the literal middle of a story, like the, you know, the fucking Zarlacc pit bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there there wasn't enough to there wasn't enough sort of dramatic tension and all of the interesting shit got sort of buried in the middle of the series like it it the fennec uh shit was like interesting like yeah, I, I like yeah fennec's cool i would like to know more about her cyborg body and like the 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 the, the cyborg mechanic guy that 
refixes humans and shit like that. I don't give a shit about most of all the other stuff you're talking about, but that was cool. Uh, like the street gang kids like that. That was interesting. That's a that's where you can get a slice of life, but they're not doing anything. They're just working for uh, Boba Fett. If this show starts off and it's like Andor's looking for his sister, kills somebody. He has this. He has a bunch of entanglements with this one woman who who is she, uh, with this uh, like the older woman and then the younger woman who's the love interest who has a boyfriend, and there is this sort of like uh, bureaucracy that exists that they have to sort of explain how it works and why it works and. There's this like uh, the 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 cracks and all the paint that is developing between the superior guy and his his subordinate who is like more ideologically focused rather than bureaucratically oriented. Like they're setting up all of these various different elements of the galaxy under this regime that we don't know anything about. In addition to Andor's backstory on this like other planet, and so I enjoyed actually how economical they were because it takes like three episodes before you start moving to the other thing not to mention Stellan Skarsgård like there's just a ton in those first three episodes where I feel like yeah there is a lot there and they're coming from a bunch of different perspectives and I think that it could afford to be more streamlined and but I understand that like they're Trying to build out a world, and I like the world. I think the space grunge is cool. I think it's effective. I think, like I said, the East India Company mining assholes are excellent villains because they suck um, and are incompetent. And um, I just, I had just watched Mulan, the animated film, and you learn everything you need to know about Mulan's family in like 10 minutes. That's like a 90 minute runtime. But and they're relying heavily on types like this is her dad, you you know, and you kind of he's kind of dad shaped and he gets like one or two shots where you get to understand his war old war wounds and his sense of honor and that kind of economical storytelling. I think you can still build and show us the world of the miners and and the asshole rent the cops and the con artists and you could do it in an episode rather than three. And I don't think you'd actually lose much of the texture that you're talking about. It would just be, um, it might actually, it would actually add to the tension of seeing Andor's world fall apart around him and how like uh, delicate his position is if it moves a little bit faster. Um, anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, but I think that the, the general consensus about this being the best piece of Star Wars media I think is rooted in it as a totality. And so I think that everything works sort of moment to moment uh, in service of a, of a bigger payoff. That's large. Yeah, if it pays off, that's fair. I guess the question is, should I be watching it like three episodes at a time? Um, It came out weekly and people were obsessed while it was coming out weekly. I don't know. I don't know. I watched uh, the first six episodes uh, over a long period of time and then watched the last six episodes in very quick succession. Um, okay. so that we'll see for me. 
Um, I think, you know, the thing about, and this is now like a form versus function thing, but I understand why people are obsessed because regardless of the quality of what's going on, and again, the actors are really good. I think that this show is doing the Game of Thrones thing and we're like, we are building an episode to hook you on purpose because we're not going to resolve anything. And so they're not like individual uh, sub stories where like it's, you know, you need to see what happens next, but like something happens this episode that's clear and it's got a beginning, a middle and an end and it works. And you could rewatch an individual episode. And I think, um, House of the Dragon does a better job of this, where, like, each episode, especially because of the time skips, like, this is a specific thing that happens, and I might rewatch a single episode of House of the Dragon where, like, something specifically cool happens. Right. I would not rewatch it so far a single episode of Andor because it's not built as episodes. It's built as little slices that are there to hook you and to, like, be addictive on purpose. And that is obviously a streaming tactic that is done on purpose, and it's just built in a different way. Um, and I am sort of fundamentally opposed to that when I'm watching a TV show. <laughs> As yeah. opposed to like an episodic like movie monster thing. No, I'm 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 there with I hate TV shows. That everything should be movies. Like don't I, uh, everything on Disney Plus should be movies. Yeah. Um they have to stop doing this to me. To be quite frank, <laughs> yes. How dare they? Exactly. So I and that I think that's where the dichotomy comes down on is like I like all the actors, I like the story, I think I like what they're building too. Stellan Skarsgård, a boss, like him getting introduced, like he propels Most underrated actor of all time. Maybe <laughs> he might be. What was that fucking movie? Oh god, what was the Stellan Skarsgård movie that ruled? <laughs> that's like the least descriptive thing you can any say. any movie that he's in. But there was a there was a particular movie I just watched where he's like the killer in the movie and it's like a fucking thriller and it rules ass. Oh God, I'm not going to be able to. He's by the way, I pulled up his filmography. He's in everything. Yeah, talk about useless. <laughs> <laughs> right, for this sure. The longest um, document I've ever read. Um, he's, he's been around for Methuselah's age. Yeah, he's wonderful, and so. The actors are great, and I, I and I'm willing to to sit with to stick with it because I think it will pay off. But I think it is a victim, or I am a victim, being victimized by the structure of the. This is here to force you to continue to subscribe to the service, um, and it's not a uh, enjoyable experience when the story that is good that they're trying to tell could have just been a movie. Yeah, this is like my. This is my whole beef with Disney Plus, which is why we got rid of it. Where it's like, yeah, yeah just just create a different email account. There's no limit on Gmail for how many accounts you can make whenever something finishes. Yeah, so like the Mandalorian season three, if we don't figure out a questionably legal way to watch it, we're just gonna wait until it's over. Yeah, and grab it. Create buttfuck.com and you know get a free trial for buttfuck. Yeah, truly. I mean, it's you know, they they're doing it on purpose. There's no reason to respect what they're doing because it sucks and it's a clear marketing ploy. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to rewatch Falcon and the Soldier at some point, but I have to sit down and watch it all at once because it's just a movie. They, somebody should just like do a solid cut them up, attach them together and put them on fucking 
YouTube or some shit. Yeah. Another video hosting place. <laughs> yeah, just the way they were intended before the marketing people got to them. Yeah. Um, that's it. We did it. Uh, so we got, who do you have in the Super Bowl? We'll just say it. Oh, uh, uh, I still think it's Eagles Chiefs. I think it's going to be a rematch Chiefs Niners. We'll see who's right. Game. The Kelsey uh, Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's Bengals Niners? Nobody would want. Oh, well, nobody Sam would watch that fan base, actually. Uh, yeah, the only the only team that doesn't have a massive fan base is the Bengals. The Bengals, nobody likes the Bengals. I don't think anybody would admit they're from Cincinnati, let alone support the Bengals. Um, they gotta so, just keep wearing those white out those sweet white outfits to like engender like, oh, that's a cool looking team. <laughs> uh, so that'll do it for this episode of Is Just Just Bad. Email us at is just just bad at gmail.com. Stay off social media and tune in for a potential guest episode. Ooh. Maybe even a recurring guest guest segment, perhaps. We'll see. Bye. Is this just bad? Bad? It's like what pirates forge your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, have a time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture, demonstrate tuition to the multiversity. Mouse psycho teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears, dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple men persuasive feet, or Randy Savage rattles with their mortal technique. Ooh.